Welcome to the Radiant Church Podcast. I'm glad you're here. Grab a Bible or open up your favorite Bible app as we get into God's Word together. Hey, well, good morning. Thank you for worshiping with us this morning. Uh, we are continuing our series through the book of Nehemiah. So if you have your Bibles, and I hope you do, let's go ahead and turn there. We're going to be looking at Nehemiah chapter 2, verses 1 through 8. So let me read those verses to kind of set the stage And then I'll pray for us, and then we'll jump in. Read silently as I read aloud. During the month of Nisan, in the 20th year of King Artaxerxes, when wine was set before him, I took the wine and gave it to the king. I had never been sad in his presence, so the king said to me, Why are you sad when you aren't sick? This is nothing but sadness of the heart. I was overwhelmed with fear and replied to the king, May the king live forever. Why should I not be sad when the city where my ancestors are buried lies in ruins and its gates have been destroyed by fire? Then the king asked me, what is your request? So I prayed to the God of heavens and answered the king, if it pleases the king and if your servant has found favor with you, send me to Judah and to the city where my ancestors are buried so that I may rebuild it. Then the king with the queen seated beside him asked me, how long will your journey take and when will you return? So I gave him a definite time, and it pleased the king to send me. I also said to the king, if it pleases the king, let let me have letters written to the governors of the regions west of the Euphrates River, so they will grant me safe passage until I reach Judah. And let me have a letter written to Asaph, keeper of the king's force, so that he will give me timber to rebuild the gates of the temple's fortress, the city wall, and the home where I will live. The king granted my requests for the gracious hand of my God was on me. Would you pray with me now? Father, God, I thank you for your love. I thank you for your word. I pray right now as we dive into Nehemiah chapter 2 that you would soften our hearts and open our ears to hear from you, not mere words of a man, but your spirit speaking through your word, making it come alive in our ears, that we would be comforted, challenged, changed for your glory and for the good of the city. In the precious name of Jesus Christ, I pray. And all of God's people said, amen and amen. So before we dive into Nehemiah chapter 2, I have a confession to make. That confession is, I am scared of heights. Yes, it's true. I'm scared of heights. Not just a, a little bit uncomfortable at heights. I'm talking about a true terror of heights. Matter of fact, let me tell you a story. When I was about four or five years old, um, the county fair came to Charleston. So if anyone has been in round in Charleston for a long time, you know that in Latson, every year in the fall, the fair comes around. Now, I was just a young child at the time, and there was this little caterpillar roller coaster. It stood maybe about three or four feet off the ground, and it went in just a plain circle. No veers, no swerves, no loops, no up, no down, nothing like that, just a circle for children. I'm not ashamed to tell you today that my mother had to pull me off of that ride because I was in tears. I was terrified of being that high off the ground, even though the roller coaster was going so slow that parents could walk along the side of it with their children. Now, that fear did not go away as I got older. I remember my first time being confronted as an adult uh, when I was in the Marine Corps. We had these obstacle courses that we had to do, and one of those was rappelling off of a 50-foot tower. Now, I don't know if you've ever looked down over 50 feet, but when you're already afraid of heights, 
that is probably about the worst feeling in the world. Well, you, I was convinced in that moment that today is my last day on earth. I'm going to die on this obstacle course. Yet in that moment, with all of my peers watching me, with my squad sergeants watching me, with my drill sergeants watching me, I found a courage, purely motivated by peer pressure and shame, I found a courage to climb down that tower and then to go back up again and go down and over and over again. Now, I, didn't ne- I never got over my fear of heights. I still have it today. Um, but through repetition, I have learned how to just, in the moment, garner some strength outside of myself to do what I need to do. When I was in the Marine Corps, it was just peer pressure and shame. But nevertheless, I found the courage to do what I needed to do in that moment. Today, we're going to talk about Nehemiah. And today, we're going to talk about the courage that he found, not because of pressure, not because of shame, not because of the jokes that would surely come when people find out what you're afraid of. No, we're talking about a power that comes from persevering in prayer. You remember in chapter 1, Nehemiah found out that the walls of his city were torn down and his people were in distress, and he cried out to the Lord. See, a prayer quoting again, Deuteronomy chapter 30, appealing to the promises of God. In verse 1 of chapter 2, it says in the month of Nisan. So we know that this period is about four or five months of Nehemiah crying out to the Lord, praying, lamenting, grieving for an opportunity to do something about the devastation of his people. And that opportunity would now come. And this is the turning point of the entire book of Nehemiah. It goes from hearing bad news, wondering what can I do, to the Lord answering in his time for prayer. So let's go into the story and see what happens. During the month of Nisan, in the 20th year, Artaxerxes, when wine was set before him, I took the wine and gave it to the king. I had never been sad in his presence. What is happening right now? Nehemiah heard these news several months ago that his people were devastated, and yet he still had a job to do. And so every day he would walk in and put a smile on his face, waiting on an opportunity from the Lord. A little history here is helpful because to be sad in the presence of a king was a sign of ungratitude. You should be glad that Artaxerxes is your king, and so to be displeased or sad in front of the king was a sure death sentence. And so Nehemiah did what we all have to do when we have bad days. We smiled and we went to work. When somebody asks us, how you doing? You say, good, how are you? Even though we have this raging tempest of emotions inside, Nehemiah in this moment is very human, somebody that we could relate to hearing this terrible news. He's going to work every day, putting a smile on his face, praying to the Lord that he would give him a chance to do something about the circumstances in his life. But one day, Nehemiah couldn't fake it anymore. One day, Nehemiah couldn't pretend that everything was okay, and his face told on him. Some of y'all know what I'm talking about. Some of y'all face gets y'all in trouble more than your words. When you try to hide it, your face tells you the truth. And this was Nehemiah's story. One day, he could not hide the grief that was in his heart. And the king asked him, why are you sad when you aren't sick? Now, we begin to feel the weight of this in our contemporary times, it sounds as if King Artaxerxes is being compassionate towards a friend. That is not what's happening here. This is a tense moment in the story. In Nehemiah's mind, this could go one of two ways. 
He could try to convince the king that he really wasn't sad and maybe spare his life, or the king would find displeasure in Nehemiah's sadness, and this would be Nehemiah's last day on earth. We see the weight of it because what happens next? At the end of verse 2, it says, I was overwhelmed with fear. Nehemiah realized that this was a real moment of decision for him. But he replied to the king, may the king live forever. Why should I not be sad when the city where my ancestors are buried lies in ruins and its gates have been destroyed by fire? Now, did you just see what happened? Nehemiah, on the face of what surely could have been a death sentence, finds a courage to say, why would I not be sad? My people need help. My city has been destroyed. Now, he doesn't know what's going to happen next, but he has been praying, and maybe he's thinking, Lord, is this the opportunity? You see, sometimes when we've been praying for so long for something, sometimes we lose hope that God is ever going to answer. And our prayers get less fervent, and we can't even see the opportunities that God may be providing in his time to answer the prayer. But Nehemiah wasn't just consistent in prayer. He was vigilant in prayer, always looking for the answer. And so the question that should have just inspired fear in his heart actually may have peaked a window of opportunity. He says, God, is this you? And I believe this is him putting out a fleece, putting out a a feeler to say, God, is this you? By making his request known. And then how did the king respond? You see, this is a back and forth series of questions and answers. The first question was, why are you sad? The second question now is, what is your request? And so I prayed to the God of heavens and answered the king. Let me just pause here for a moment. Prayer is this nebulous thing, isn't it? It's hard to often define at times. We see at least two different types of prayer just in these first two chapters. In chapter one, we see Nehemiah praying for months at a time, lamenting and grieving and worshiping and reminding God of his promises. But sometimes we don't get that opportunity, do we? Sometimes we need help in that moment. And so we offer the the quick five-second prayer, God, help. And what's encouraging to me is God answered both prayers. In Nehemiah chapter 1, God, Nehemiah prayed for an opportunity. God answered that prayer by this very conversation. And now Nehemiah is in the midst of God answering that prayer. He says, God, I don't know what to do. The most powerful man in the world, the king of Persia, King Artaxerxes, is asking me, what do I want? I can't mess this up. And so he offered an in-the-moment prayer. God, help. God helps. So be encouraged, beloved. God hears the 3 a.m. crying out to the Lord, tears rolling down your face prayers. But he also hears those rushed prayers as you're walking to the emergency room, as you're walking into the classroom, as you're walking into a relative's home. He hears those moment-by-moment prayers that we offer in the midst of need. And so he answered. If it pleases the king, and if your servant has found favor with you, send me to Judah and to the city where my ancestors are buried, so that I may rebuild it. What I want us to see here is an increasing boldness. 
We see a, a, a crescendoing boldness in Nehemiah. Remember the, the first act of boldness was, why are you sad? What maybe I would have done in that moment is say, no, 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 king. I, I'm not, I wasn't sad. I was, just, I was just thinking about something. My, my mind was just somewhere else. Because the, the risk of being sad in front of the king might have meant death. But no, he showed a little bit of boldness saying, God, is this you by stating the problem? And now the request comes, and this may not seem as bold, but a little history again might be helpful for us. You see, how did the walls that are torn down, how did they get that way? Nehemiah is troubled by the state of his city. The walls have been torn down. The gates have been broken. His people are in disarray. How did that city get that way? Some of you, Bible scholars, might be thinking of King Nebuchadnezzar who captured the city and burned it to the ground. But remember, the book of Ezra and Nehemiah were originally one book telling a continuous story. So turn back with me to Ezra chapter 4. Ezra chapter 4 tells the story of the rebuilding of the temple. But while they were rebuilding the temple, they had actually begun rebuilding the walls. But there was some opposition to Ezra's reforms, and so they sent a letter to a king asking them to stop the Jews from rebuilding the temple and from rebuilding the wall. Who was that king that stopped the Jews from building the temple and had the walls destroyed? Ezra chapter 4 verse 23 gives us the short version of that answer. It says, as soon as the text of King Artaxerxes' letter was read to Rehum, Shimshai, and the scribe and their colleagues, they immediately went to the Jews in Jerusalem and forcibly stopped them. You see, it was King Artaxerxes himself that, that stopped the rebuilding of the wall. And that forcibly stopped them meant that they destroyed the work. So the walls that Nehemiah are grieving over were actually destroyed by the very king he's talking to. Do you see the courage now? Persian kings were deified. They were viewed as godlike. They never made mistakes. They never went back on their word. They never changed their minds. And here Nehemiah is a lowly cupbearer asking King Artaxerxes to reverse what King Artaxerxes did just a few years prior. The man of great boldness and faith. But look what God is doing. He's asking, he said, if it pleases the king and your servant has found favor with you, send me to Judah and to the city where my ancestors are buried so that I may rebuild it. Look at what God is doing in verse 6. The king with the queen seated beside him, asked me, how long will your journey take and when will you return? So I gave gave him a definite time and it pleased the king to send me. Now those are not throwaway details. The, The queen sitting beside the king is an unusual detail. Usually Persian kings ate alone. So what is the queen doing here and why is Nehemiah including that in the story? What most commentators and theologians believe is that the queen, whoever she may be, is actually spurring this on and encouraging the king to heed Nehemiah's request. So we see God at work right now, not just talking to the king about reversing his decree, but even getting the queen to come along, Nehemiah, and say, yes, this is a good idea. You should do this. 
God is at work. What was the first question? Why are you sad? The first city is destroyed. The second question is, what do you want? The second answer is, send me back so I can rebuild my temple. Question, answer, question, answer. But something is a little different in verse 7. You see, there's no question right now. Maybe King Artaxerxes thinks the conversation is over. He asked him what Nehemiah want. Nehemiah said what he wanted, and he's going to grant it to him. Now we're done. But I want y'all to catch this. I also said to the king, I also said to the king, I've already gotten the king who gave the decree to destroy the wall to give another decree to rebuild the wall. I've already gotten the decree to let this royal cupbearer go for an indefinite amount of time to go do the work, but Nehemiah is not done. He's starting to feel this Holy Ghost boldness, if we can say this. Yes, the Holy Ghost is in the Old Testament. We can unpack that later. He begins to feel this spirit-filled boldness that God is with me. And he begins to make more demands. He says, don't just send me. As a matter of fact, I need your, I need your book. I need your paycheck. I need your resources. I need timber, and I need guards, and I need letters, and I need all of these things in order to do it right. Where did that boldness come from? When I first started Our conversation today, I told a story where my boldness came from, how in a moment of fear, I could face my fear of heights, and my boldness came from just fear of other people, of shame. In the military, if they find out something that you're afraid of, I guarantee you it'll come up every day of your life. And so for me, it was just self-preservation that motivated me to climb down a tall tower, But that's not what Nehemiah's motivation is. That is not the source of Nehemiah's boldness. Look at the end of verse 8. He says, the king granted my request. Why? Because Nehemiah was a great master of rhetoric and argument? Because he was that influential and that powerful because the king owed him a debt? No, why did the king grant him this request? Hear me today. The hand of my God was on me. Here's what I think happened in this conversation. I'm using my spirit-filled imagination right now. I can imagine that fear that Nehemiah talked about after that first question, why are you sad? Remember what it says? It says that he was overwhelmed with fear, terrified. So how do we go from a terrified Nehemiah to a bold Nehemiah asking for more and more and more from the king? Because I think at some point in the conversation, he realized that this conversation wasn't just between Nehemiah and King Artaxerxes. No, it was between the king of kings and a king. Somewhere along the line, Nehemiah realized that he wasn't the one at work here. Somewhere he realized that it was God at work through him, and that gave him a boldness. When David stood in front of Goliath, he was sure of his victory, not because of his skill with the sling, but because of the presence of the power of his God. And at some point, Nehemiah realized that it's not me and King Artaxerxes, it is God and a king. And that gave him a boldness. Do y'all realize this? 
Do you realize what's happening in this passage? That God is showing himself to be faithful, him showing himself to be the architect of all that's to happen after this. It is not just Nehemiah's wisdom and strategy and planning. It is the power of God. So the question is, does God like Nehemiah more than you? Does God like Nehemiah more than you? So I think sometimes we wrestle internally. We wrestle with sin. We wrestle with depression. We wrestle with struggle and trauma in our past. We wrestle with the problems of this world for far too long because we think it is us versus that. We think it's me versus my past, me versus my sin, me versus the problems of this world, and we feel overwhelmed because we don't realize it's not me versus my problems. It is the King of kings and the Lord of lords versus everything else. And that should inspire some boldness in us, church. That should inspire some confidence in us. When you face your sin, it is not you facing your sin. It is God facing the sin in you. When you face your past and the trauma and the fears and the uncertainties of life, it is not you facing those things. It is God facing those things through you and in you. How I wish that this would free us right now. How I pray right now that you develop a Holy Spirit boldness when facing sin and sickness and death and disease and uncertainty and anxiety and worry and trauma and and pressures in the past. How we would develop a certainty that God is with us. And if God is for us, who can be against us? You see, that is why I think Nehemiah was able to go also, by the way, King, one more thing. Oh, by the way, King, one more thing, because he realized it's not just me. It's not just me in this conversation right now. It is God at work. So the question for us today, church, is where is God at work in your life? Where is God at work? What prayers have God put on your heart that you've been crying out for? That God may be opening an opportunity to answer those questions. Where is God at work? And how should that fuel a boldness in life? A confidence not in self, but in our Savior. The king granted my request for the gracious hand of my God was on me Hear me clear, this is going to be a recurring theme in the book of Nehemiah. If ever there's a moment that you are confused about the hero of the story, come back to these words. I was successful because the gracious hand of my God was on me. The grace of God was at work. That is what gave me confidence. It's God's mission, God's intention. And all Nehemiah had to do was get out of the way. All Nehemiah had to do was get his fears out of the way, his uncertainties out of the way, all the reasons why Artaxerxes would not reverse his own command and put resources behind it, get behind all those things out of the way and realize that it was God at work. Before I close, I'm going to give a pastoral exhortation at this point. We may look out into our society right now. We see the rabid tribalism. We see the the polarization of even Christians feeling like they must choose a side. And we look at a church like Radiant that is intentionally 
multi-ethnic, that is intentionally embracing difference, political difference, racial difference, socioeconomic difference. And there may be those of us, even myself at times, that wonders, God, is this going to work? Is it even worth it all that we're going through, all the sacrifices that we make wrestling through hard conversations, the tensions that we feel in our community as we talk about hard things and disagree deeply? This is one of those things that reminds me, this is not our idea, church. An intentionally multi-ethnic church was not my idea. It was not your idea. It was God's idea. So we don't have to do it. All we have to do is get ourselves out of the way and watch God do something more than we can ask for. Watch God hold us together while the world may be being pulled apart. And it won't be because of our skill, won't be because of our programs, won't be because of our rhythms. It will be because the gracious hand of God is upon his church to accomplish his purposes. And so I pray that you would be encouraged this morning that God is willing to do more than we think he is able to. He is surely able to do more than you and I are able to. And so would we trust in him when our strength feels too small? Would we trust in him when we don't know what to do next? Would we trust in him and his plans for us when we are uncertain about what's next? Because just as the gracious hand of God was on Nehemiah to accomplish God's plans for him, so the gracious hand of God is on us as we seek to accomplish his will through our lives and in this city. What do I want you to take from this today? I want you to take at least two things. One, be vigilant in prayer. Nehemiah prayed for at least four months, crying out to the Lord, but he did not grow weary. He saw the opportunity that God was beginning to answer. Be consistent in prayer is hard enough, but to be vigilant in prayer is always looking how God might be answering our prayer, even in unusual ways. Be vigilant in prayer. And secondly, realize that it's not you versus your problems. It is not you versus your sin. It is not you versus your past. It is God versus all things, and God wins, y'all. If God wins, if God is for us, what are we worried about? What are we concerned about? Why are we so overwhelmed if God is at the forefront of leading the charge of victory in our lives over sin, death, and despair? Would we be encouraged by who God is and what he's doing in our lives and through our lives? Would you pray with me now? Father, God, thank you for your word. Thank you that your hand is upon your mission and upon your church and upon your people. God, would you give us a confidence in you above all things? God, we have no confidence in our methods. We have no confidence in our plans. We have no confidence in our political parties. We have no confidence in just the electoral system. God, we have no confidence in our ability to overcome sin and despair and uncertainty. We have all of our confidence in you. And from there, we draw a boldness that this world desperately needs to see. 
In Jesus' name, we pray all these things. That all of God's people said, amen and amen. Let's worship together. Thank you for joining our family in North Charleston as we heard God's word preached today. We would love to connect with you. You can find us online on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. Send us a message to learn more about what Radiant Church is doing or support the vision of Radiant Church at radiantcharleston.com giving.